When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I am feeling optimistic these days and even excited because our cases here in Los Angeles County are coming down quite quickly. So that is great to see. I'm really hopeful for back to school learning maybe in another month to two. Please. I'm doing a lot of teaching at home, trying to keep the kids on track. These poor teachers trying to do everything over video calls and keep all these kids on track and answer questions about where the kids are supposed to go and to pull up files. I I really feel for these teachers. They're doing an amazing job, but it's not easy. So my kids are coming to me to get help to find their stuff and figure out what they're supposed to do. It's just, it's a lot for everybody. So, but we're all hanging in there, but they'll only be going back two days a week so they can keep their classroom sizes at around 10 to 12 students. They already have their plan ready and we know which kids will be going back which days, but I am hopeful we will get there soon. So I hope all of you are seeing some positive movement in your communities too, and lower cases and numbers and some things opening up again. So today I'm going to start with a question of logistics, which is really important with toddlers and preschoolers, but it's helpful for parents of kids of all ages, especially with all this stay at home and the days are kind of getting away from us and feeling like one big block smush of time all starting to blend together. Then there's a second question about bedtime meltdowns when they're trying to fix a change in the bedtime routine or protocol. In this case, It's a co-parenting family, but bedtimes are a very common issue. So whether you're co-parenting or parenting together, there will be some tips for you in making bedtimes go the way you envision. If you're co-parenting, there'll be some tips on having different rules in different homes and how that works. So I've actually gotten several questions along the lines about setting up a good schedule. What does this entail? Where do you start? What might it look like? So I'm going to use the question I got from Anna since she described this common concern really well with some nice details. 
She said, hi, Erin. I was wondering if you could give me some direction on getting my son on a daily schedule or routine. Ever since he was three months old, he spent two days a week at daycare, another two days at grandma's, and every third weekend overnight at his other grandparents' house. Because of this constant change, I never felt I could get him on a consistent schedule, except for the days he was at daycare. He's never had set times for meals, naps, bedtimes, and I regret it immensely. Now that we have the stay at home, he is at home with my husband every day. I'd like to get him on a routine now that he is home and to at least have some consistency to his life, but I have no idea where to start. Do I focus on one thing at a time or jump right in with the new schedule? Any advice and direction would be appreciated. So before I get into the basics and additional guidelines for routines and schedules, I wanna cover individual differences. In the temperament class on the website, yourvillageonline.com, one of the nine traits of temperament is rhythmicity. This is the degree to which your child or an adult, we all have our place on the spectrum of these traits as well. If your temperament and just as a little side note, I'm going to go on a little tangent. If your temperament traits, if whatever trait it is of those nine or several of those is in opposition with one of your children or all of your children in one trait or another in key areas, it can, number one, make it difficult to understand why your child is acting a certain way. Number two, it can push your buttons. So learning the nine traits where you stand and then also where each of your children stands can be very enlightening and also open up a lot of understanding about why your child does the things they do, does things the way that they do, reacts the way that they do to certain things. It's like that aha moment and it can help shed a lot of light onto the relationship, move from struggle to more flow when you learn to work with your child's individual temperament and even learn to stretch their temperament to make them a little bit more in the middle, maybe even bring yourself a little more to the middle so you can meet a little bit, but just that understanding can be huge. So when it comes to rhythmicity, this is a person's propensity towards and comfort with routines. A highly rhythmic child will get emotional and cranky when there isn't a more structured flow to the day. Additionally, even if you have this structure, if it gets thrown off on vacations or just particularly a busy day and things get thrown off, highly rhythmic children can get very emotional and reactive. So it's good to understand this and make as many allowances for sticking to a schedule as closely as possible if you have a highly rhythmic child. And to be more specific about it, rhythmicity is the predictability of daily patterns in sleeping, eating, and eliminating. So a child who is highly rhythmic may get cranky if he does not eat and sleep at the same time every day. They can get upset when they when things don't go as usual, when the day doesn't go as usual, if the schedule gets off. They may have a favorite toy, cup, plate, that kind of thing, and really, really want things to stay the same. They may even poop on a schedule. So while all children and people do better and thrive better with some level of routine, you may have a child lower in rhythmicity. And these children prefer variety, have varying needs for food and sleep, enjoy new people and places, and may not notice small changes in the daily schedule or routine. So while they still should have some type of routine, if things get shifted a little bit, 20 to 30 minutes, their nap starts a little later, they may not even really notice. Your highly rhythmic child will let you know if they're tired and you're pushing into their nap time. 
So just knowing how rhythmic your child is or is not will give you guidance as to how stringent you will need to be and how much you need to prepare both yourself and them when things need to shift a bit. This also can help you avoid a lot of meltdowns and tantrums too, and I'll cover tips on that as well. I'm going to start with routine basics and fill in around it, then give tips for planning for and maintaining routines as much as possible when you're out and about. Now, I know we're not going out and about a lot right now, but as you get to do this more, it'll, you'll just have the whole picture. You may have the building blocks of routines already and you don't even know it, but if not, if you don't have any building blocks, here's where you want to start. You want consistent meal times, bedtimes, and nap times. You wanna have those set up first before you fill in the other parts of the schedule with anything else. So there are several steps to this big step. So I'm gonna break it down. In the classes for infant sleep and toddler sleep, in addition to the setting up positive sleep habits fix and fixing sleep problems, I give ranges on how much sleep a child needs by age. So you wanna start with this, how much sleep does my child need by age? You're gonna put that into the schedule. I'll get into how to do that in a second. Most toddlers will start to drop the morning nap at around 18 months. Some a few months earlier, others a little bit later, but if you have a child 18 months or under, you'll be scheduling in two naps a day. So I'm gonna use a three-year-old as the example, also because that was the age of Anna's child that she gave. A three-year-old should be getting 12 to 13 hours of sleep in any 24-hour period. While most kids will continue to nap most days until at least four, three is the age where kids who need less sleep will often start to drop naps, much to their parents' chagrin. But so long as they're getting that 12 hours overnight, they're getting the minimum recommended, and so they may end up being done with naps. Now that was my oldest. He dropped his nap within days of turning three, but he was sleeping from 7.30 to 7.30. So he was getting the full 12 hours. He's one of those kids that has never needed a lot of sleep. He's always up at six or 6.30 in the morning. He's an early riser. But so long as he was getting that full 12 hours, that was all that really mattered. Okay, you wanna start with the nighttime sleep hours. And then you're going to subtract that from the total, the, the 12 to 13 hours. So if your three-year-old is getting 11 hours at night, let's say they're going to bed at 8 and they're waking up at 7 a.m., they're getting 11 hours at night, then they will need one to two hour nap each day. Now, culturally, there can be a difference in bedtimes, but I like 7 to 7.30 for starting bedtime routines. So my toddlers were in bed by 7.30 to 8. We do a half hour bedtime routine with brushing teeth, singing songs, reading some books and snuggling. Sleep time starts when they fall asleep, not when they get tucked in. So if your child is taking 20 minutes in there, singing to themselves, talking to themselves to fall asleep, that sleep time starts once they fall asleep. So if they're in bed by 7.30 and asleep by eight, that 8 p.m. is when sleep time starts. That's when you start to count the hours. When it comes to scheduling naps, you want them to end no later than four o'clock so they're ready to fall asleep again at night. But 3.30 or even three is even better. So, and this is for three-year-olds. If you have an infant, if an infant is up by four, 4.30, a lot of times they're ready to fall asleep in the evening, no problem. But if you're having problems with your kids falling asleep, your infant or your toddler falling asleep at bedtime, you wanna look at when that nap time is ending and move that earlier so that they're, they have a little more time to get more tired for bedtime. So let's say nap time is at 1 or 1.30, then they get that hour sleep until 2, and then they're taking that 1 to 2 hour nap. So that would be either 1 to 2, 
If they start at 1.30 and they're taking two hours, that's 1.30 to 3.30, should be okay for getting at sleep at nighttime. But again, if they're not, move that nap a little earlier. If you've been letting them sleep later, you can start waking them up a little earlier or move in the nap time earlier or both. So now you have your bedtime and your nap time built into the schedule. So I'm gonna talk about feeding, meals, play and learning, managing outings when we get back after a word from our sponsor. As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge, but finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD, online visits, refills, and a 24-7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one-minute free assessment to see if Done can help, two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow, three, start receiving ongoing care, enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry-free refills, and 24-7 care. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn your ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to get into scheduling feeding, play and learning and working around outings and vacations, especially if you have a highly rhythmic child. So once our bedtimes and nap times are in the schedule, meals and snacks will slide in around those. So just as an example, let's say your child is falling asleep at 8 p.m., waking up at 7 a.m., Breakfast can be at 7.30, lunch is at noon, dinner at 5.30, wherever that works for your family. You're going to slide those in. You're going to add in a mid-morning snack, so let's say it's around 10 a.m., and an afternoon snack, probably after nap, around 3 p.m. Now you have those gaps between that you can start to fill in in the ways that you'd like. So you have the gap from 8 a.m. to noon, 12.30 to 1 or 1.30, and 3.30 to 5.30, so you can work on those next. 
So free play is always good to have in the schedule so your preschooler can have the opportunity to develop some creative play and independence. 15 to 20 minutes, once or twice a day, and your child may not be the best at this. So you're just gonna give them some practice, keep encouraging them. If they're only gonna go five, 10 minutes, that's okay. But have it built into the schedule, let them try to free play as much as they can, five, 10 minutes. You can encourage them to go back, go maybe walk over with them, give them a couple ideas, walk away, and let them try to re-engage in some imaginative play. This is a whole other podcast in and of itself. Um, or of course, the classes on the website about how you can engage kids, get kids to engage more in independent play. And I know that I did a podcast episode about that actually, uh, maybe about a month ago. But if you want to know more about this, getting the right materials and toys are really, really going to benefit in this to help the kids go deeper in play. So that information is in the class, You're Developing Toddler or You're Developing Preschooler for getting those toys and activities that will really engage their creative mind. Now, a good time for these is right after breakfast because they're fresh from the night's sleep. They have a full belly, so they will likely be in their best mood of the day. Not whiny, cranky, because they're hungry or tired and want your attention. This is the time when they're probably going to be the best at engaging in independent play. Another time could be right after the afternoon snack. Again, they've had their nap, they've had some food, so they're going to be more likely to have the ability to, to some degree or the best degree of the day, be able to engage in independent play. Then you can fill in the other gaps with all other kinds of activities. So, but let me clarify here. I'm not saying that every second of every day has to be filled with an activity. Not at all, not by a long shot. All I'm saying is that you wanna fill in these pieces first. The sleep, the eating, of course, and then some free play time. If you feel like an outing, once we're able to do that again, or if you're able to do that again, you know what time gaps you have to fit that in. If you wanna do a daily physical activity, which kids should also be doing some sort of daily physical activity, you know where you can fit that in. But kids, by all means, benefit from lots of free time to just use their imagination and do some free play. Some kids will struggle with this more than others, and that's why I say to put it in as an allotted, scheduled thing, especially for younger kids, 18 months, two years old, two and a half, especially sometimes will really struggle with being able to entertain themselves for very long. I get a lot of questions about that from parents. So having that built into the schedule for 15 or 20 minutes at a time and encouraging that from your younger children, especially those that, are, that struggle with that independent play, that's when you're gonna have it put in there. You're gonna use that as that time with those children specifically to encourage them to work on their independent skills, their independence. For children who are great at playing on their own, you can do way more of that throughout the day. You can have them help you with your own chores, with your own things that you need to get done throughout the day. With running errands, stick those in those gaps that are open, go run some errands, take your toddler with you, your child with you, and teach them life skills about picking out fruits and vegetables and adding up what something will cost, all of those things. You can stick it in those gaps, but by all means, don't feel like you need to fill up every single second of every day to keep your child engaged at all times. Definitely not necessary. That free play is very, very important for their cognitive development. All right, but back to some ideas for some things that you can do to fill in some of those other gaps in the day. Physical play, things like tossing a ball around, taking a walk, going on a short hike, walking the dog, riding a balance bike, the trampoline, uh, creating an obstacle course, whatever you have around the house. 
Hullabaloo is a great little game where kids get to jump around a little bit and easy for younger kids. Now, during more normal times, we have things like parks and playgrounds that will become an option again. And the same will go for outings. Once you can go to children's museums, developmental play centers, these are things you can schedule in, I don't know, once or twice a week if you're motivated during one of those bigger blocks of time, so like the 8.30 to noon time. I always liked visiting these places first thing in the morning when they opened. So we would get up, have breakfast, get ready, and we would go to these places. A lot of them don't open till 9 or 10, but we would get to those places, enjoy an hour or two, come home, have lunch, or sometimes we just have lunch there. We'd pack a lunch and have it there and then come home. They'd be nice and tired for nap time. And I also had more energy in the morning to wrangle them because I had three toddlers at the same time. So I had my energy in the mornings to be able to do that. And my kids could work out their energy. So that worked out well. When it comes to outings, once you can get back to them, whether it's a children's museum, a play space, or family errands, you want to bring snacks or plan for lunch if you're going to be out during snack time or lunchtime so your child won't get over hungry. You want to schedule around naps and making sure feeding times are maintained will avoid many of the meltdowns. And then the same is true for vacations. When you're on vacation and schedules are thrown for a bit of a loop, just plan around naps and meals and be ready with options for snacking and meals as well as naps for younger ones. So let's say you know you want to go to the beach, but it's hard when you're on vacation and your kids need naps all the time and they need to sleep all the time. If you can plan a nice shaded spot, if you have one of those like little tents for little kids or whatever, on a blanket on the beach, you could nap there. So you get to drive to the beach, be at the beach, play a little bit, they get tired, they can take their nap right there on the beach. When they wake up, you've got their snack ready. So you're not interrupting their schedule, but it's not chained to the hotel room or your relative's house during all the meal times and nap times. The other option is they could nap during car rides to the new sightseeing location. So if you're taking a longer trip to see some, some sightseeing location, you could plan the drive during nap time so your child could sleep in the car on the way there, have a snack with you, they have their snack when they wake up once you get there, and then they're in a good mood in order to have some energy to see this new location. So you can get in the fun, but still allow for your child's rhythms of sleeping and eating and being taken care of. Here's what kind of the basic structure of the schedule may look like. So breakfast at 7.30, morning free play at eight, morning snack at 10, lunch at noon, nap time routine, nap at one, snack after wake up, so 2.30 or three, 3.30 free play, dinner at 5.30, bedtime routine at 7.30. So as you can see, there's still a lot of wiggle room in there for other play times, for outings, for play dates, whatever you wanna schedule in during that day. And then you have bedtime from 7.45 to eight. And of course, you figure out whatever schedule works for you. This is not set in stone. This is just what works for you and your family. You just wanna get on it and stay consistently on it. That's the only thing. Whatever your schedule is, you wanna be consistent about it. Now, if you wanna know more about rhythmicity, the ways to work with highly rhythmic child or a child low in rhythmicity, also learn more about the other eight temperament traits, both yours and your child's, how to support their individual traits in the areas of family and friends, school and learning, activities and leisure, and or you wanna learn more about sleep and bedtimes, such as recommended hours, setting up solid bedtime routines and nighttime habits, fixing any issues that you have with bedtimes or nighttimes, you can see the sleep classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Our next question is a dual co-parenting 
and bedtime struggle questions. So any parent dealing with either of these will gain some value and insight from this question. Sam wrote, hi, Erin. First of all, I love your podcast and find it informative and love hearing the stories about you and your family as well. My fiance is divorced and has a three and a half year old daughter. She comes to stay with us every other weekend on Friday and Saturday. Since she was born, she has been sleeping in the same bed as her mom. At first, when she came to stay with us, we'd have her sleep with us too because she was about one and we figured her mom would switch her to her own bed soon. She has not. Fast forward two years later and my fiance and I no longer are able to sleep when she stays with us because she kicks and has to have her hands or legs or something touching us. And this is a king size bed. But we told her mom we would like to start putting her to sleep in her own bed. Her mom laughed and said she wouldn't be doing that at her house. We tried it the last time she was with us and she threw a tantrum like I have never seen. I'm not exaggerating. I've really never heard a child scream and yell the way she was. At bedtime, we asked her if she wanted to sleep in her own bed and she said yes. We put her to bed and told her she was going to need to start sleeping in her own bed and she needed to stay there for the night. The yelling, screaming, and crying started as soon as we put her in the bed. We tried to let her cry it out, but after about 15 minutes, there was no let up in her tantrum. Finally, my fiance said he would lay down with her, but was going to leave when she fell asleep and she needed to stay in her bed. First, she tried everything she could to stay up for about 15 minutes, and we kept telling her she needs to lay down and try to sleep. After about 20 or 30 minutes of just laying there, she finally fell asleep, and my fiance and I were able to go to our bedroom. She woke up again about five minutes after we left, and she began the screaming again. My fiancé went back in, lay down with her again, saying he would lay with her until she fell asleep, and then he would leave. It took a little less time for her to fall asleep this time, but she finally did. It happened one more time, and then finally, after falling asleep, she stayed asleep. She stayed in her bed the whole night, which is good. The next weekend she was with us, the same thing happened. When we asked her if she was tired, which she clearly was, she said no. After about 15 minutes of her yawning and trying to lay on the couch to sleep, we told her it was time for bed. The same routine of her crying and asking for daddy to lay with her happened. It repeated two times before she fell asleep, only to wake up three times in the night screaming for daddy. He lays with her and then leaves. feel it's going to be this extreme every time. We do this since her mom doesn't want to work with us on this. I'm basically wondering if there is a way to get her to sleep in her own bed without anybody laying with her, without such a tantrum every time and without taking over an hour to just get her to sleep or if anything we do is just going to be undone between stays since her mom isn't trying to do what we're doing. I also want to say I'm not trying to shame her mom or say anything bad about her. It's just a difference of opinion and my fiance and I just want to be able to get sleep so we can better be there for his daughter and not be feeling in a sleep-deprived haze the whole time she's with us. I know it's a short amount of time she's with us, but those two nights without sleep is affecting us. Thank you for any advice, Sam. So there's several areas to address here. I'm going to start with the co-parenting question part of it. So the answer is no, it won't be that extreme every time. First, there are some tips I'm going to give to make this smoother, and I'm going to get to that next. Co-parents often deal with this difference in expectations between two homes. It's really awesome and nice if parents can get on the same page with expectations and boundaries and discipline, but there's often at least one, if not more, key areas where divorced parents just don't agree. But if you can still set up different rules and expectations in your home and expect the child will follow through, the child will benefit from these different expectations and they will be able to do this. It's just like the difference between school and home. A child acts much differently at school than at home because they understand there's different expectations. So don't be concerned about setting down different rules and enforcing them and be concerned they'll be undone at the other home. 
Now, yes, when a child is spending less time in one home and at three, three and a half, and almost two weeks between visits, it will be longer. It'll take a little more work to get this solidly in place than if it were a 50-50 or even a 60-40 custody arrangement. But that's okay, you can still make it work. Okay, so let I wanna get to some tips to make this smoother. First, you wanna do a coaching session beforehand, not just a bedtime. You wanna explain the bedtime rule in your house and why because she's getting bigger and the bed is too crowded for three of you and you need better sleep or whatever your wording is. Now, the other thing is you never wanna ask a child if they're tired or ask them if they wanna use their own bed. If this is what you're setting up, you need to tell them that this is what's going to happen, not ask, because they are invariably going to say, no, I'm not tired. Kids are notorious for that, right? No, I'm not tired and they're falling asleep in their soup. And then if you're asking her if she wants to use, if she wants to sleep in her own bed, most of the time she's going to say no. So just this is what it is. This is what we're doing. Here's how it's going to go. So then you're going to set up the bedtime routine, what it will look like so she knows what to expect. Or we're going to come to your bed with you, read some books, snuggle for a few minutes, and leave. You need to stay in your room and fall asleep on your own. You want to remind her again just before bedtime about the new rule and the bedtime routine. Secondly, you want to choose a bedtime method and you want to stick with it. You don't want to start switching around from one to the other. Now, you can try one for a couple days or for that first weekend, and if it just doesn't work, you can try the next one the next time, but you don't want to keep switching around and be like, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try this. This doesn't work, right? You want to pick one and stick with it. They will work, but you got to stick with them. So there's three methods. First is the mantra method. This is the one where you walk the child back to their room when they get up with little to no interaction. You don't look them in the eye. You say one to two word phrase, it's bedtime and nothing else. This method is fast. It's a significant improvement in two to three nights, but it means dealing with those meltdowns. Even if they go on for a while, the first and second nights are usually the worst. After that, they do get better. So if it's a meltdown that's ensuing, then you're having to deal with those. If you can't, then this is not the method for you. Now, the only time you interact, and it's minimal, minimally, is if she actually gets up and leaves her room. It doesn't sound like she's doing this. It sounds like she's actually staying in her room and just crying, which actually makes it a bit easier. There's two other methods. Either of them might work better for you. So I'm going to give the descriptions on those in a minute, but there's another big tip here that I want to bring up. The biggest issue I see with you never want to stay until the child falls asleep. You must leave before the child falls asleep because when a parent stays or whatever's happening, when the child falls asleep, that is what they expect to find when they wake up. So when she falls asleep and dad is there in her bed and she wakes up and he's not, it startles her awake, fully awake, because she wants her dad there and he's not. He was there when she fell asleep, so now he's missing. So she is going to cry out for him. And this will start the cycle all over. So any method you use, you're leaving before she falls asleep. So the second method is the check-in method. This is where you promise to go back in after five minutes so long as she stays in her bed. Then you go and you check on her, you give a quick back rub, a kiss, whatever you wanna do, you leave, you promise to come back in another five minutes. You do this until she's asleep. You stay up to one minute and you leave. You do this until she falls asleep. Now, not staying there till she falls asleep, but one of those times between the check-ins, she will fall asleep. So you're gonna keep going back in every five minutes until one of those times you go in and she's asleep. But this means she has fallen asleep on her own without someone there with her. 
The other method is the move out method where you stay beside her, you stay in the room, you stay beside the bed, rub the back until she's almost asleep and then you leave. You do this for about three to four nights. So this one might be a little bit difficult with not having her for a longer period of time. Then once she gets good at staying in her bed and falling asleep on her own for those last few minutes, right? She's super sleepy, but you're gonna walk out while she's still aware that you're walking out. The next time you, you stay until she's sleepy, you do this for another two to three nights. The other thing you're gonna do, move further away from the bed. So sitting on the bed to sitting in a chair beside the bed to sitting in a chair in the room till she gets sleepy and walking out. So you're gonna just slowly remove yourself from her falling asleep process till you get to the point where you're tucking her in, say goodnight and leaving. So if you decide to go with this method, you might have to do the first weekend at the full, at the protocol, like at the most connected part of the protocol, sitting on her bed, rubbing her back till she's falling asleep and leaving. Then she comes back the next weekend and one of those nights, the first night you repeat that, sitting on her bed, rubbing her back till she's falling asleep and leaving. The second night, pull back to the next level, to level two, where you're sitting in a chair beside her bed, staying till she's sleepy, leaving the room. The third weekend, you're doing that step again. Then you're just gonna slowly remove yourself from that situation. You can decide which of these feels best for you given your situation, given your own temperaments, what feels the most comfortable for you, what you think she will, what she will take to the easiest. I personally like the mantra method. It's what I used with my kids, but in her case, it may be more difficult because it's been a really long-term pattern that you're trying to break. So she's gonna throw some pretty big meltdowns and tantrums about this. For probably the first couple of weekends you're working on this, by the third weekend, she will very likely start to accept that this is the new normal in this house, that this is the new protocol, and fall asleep much quicker, much easier, if you decide to go with the mantra method. To learn more about setting up positive sleep habits, breaking negative habits with any of the three methods and exact steps to each one, any troubleshooting areas that you're having with any of the methods, you can see the agenda, the sample classes for infant sleep and toddler sleep, which is also for dealing with school-age kids if you're still having some bedtime issues and your kids are a little bit older. Those are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. As I mentioned last week, the co-parenting series is now out. Part one and part two are complete and up on the website. Part one is about setting up the foundation, whether you're doing that for yourself as you work through your decision to keep trying or you're ready to move forward or if you've decided as a couple and you're each doing your own work to move forward towards separation or you have one person doing the work and one who's staying in a negative space. But regardless, part one covers how to handle all these different scenarios, all the steps forward, building that strong foundation. I really go deep into how to work through the tough stuff. It's not easy and I went through this all myself, but I am so glad I did, that I dug in and did that work. Part two is about the divorce process itself, all the decisions that need to be made, what you will want to know before making those decisions, and basically just a step-by-step -step guide for working your way through it. And I'm also currently about halfway through creating part three, so we'll be getting that out soon. It's about settling and parenting from two separate homes and all the common issues that can arise, how to work together or how to deal with things when your par parenting partner is high conflict or you just aren't connected at all. It also covers dating and stepfamily, so I'm excited to get that one out. If you are interested in checking out the samples for those classes, you can see those at yourvillageonline.com slash co-parenting-classes. Yourvillageonline.com slash co-parenting-classes. 
And then I also put out a special edition podcast for parents who are in the beginning of the separation process. I will be creating a few more of those. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.